Chapter Fourteen of the Missing Bride. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Friday. The Missing Bride by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Fourteen Cloudy. It was Christmas Eve, and a fierce snowstorm was raging. Old Mr. Wilcoxon sat half doubled up in his leather-covered elbow-chair, in the chimney-corner of his bedroom, occupied with smoking his clay pipe and thinking about his money-bags. Fanny was in the cold, bleak upper rooms of the house, looking out of the windows upon the wide desolation of winter, the waste of snow, the bare forest, the cold, dark waters of the bay, listening to the driving tempest, and singing, full of glee as she always was when the elements were in an uproar. Thurston was the sole and surly occupant of the sitting-room, where he had thrown himself at full length upon the sofa, to lie and yawn over the newspaper, which he vowed was as stale as last year's almanac. Suddenly the front door was thrown open, and someone came, followed by the driving wind and snow, into the hall. Thurston threw aside his paper, started up, and went out. What was his surprise to see Cloudesley Mornington standing there, with a face so haggard, with eyes so wild and despairing, that in alarm he exclaimed, "'Good heaven, Cloudesley! What is the matter?' "'Has anything happened at home?' "'Home? Home? What home? "'I have no home upon this earth now, and never shall have,' "'exclaimed the poor youth distractedly. "'My dear fellow, never speak so despondently. "'What is it now, a difficulty with the Commodore?' "'God's judgment light upon him!' cried Cloudy, "'pushing past and hurrying up the stairs. "'Thurston could not resume his former composure. "'Something in Cloudy's face had left a feeling of uneasiness in his mind.' and the oftener he recalled the expression, the more troubled he became, until at length he could bear the anxiety no longer, and quietly leaving his room, he went upstairs in search of the youth, and paused before the boy's door. By the clicking metallic sounds within, he suspected him to be engaged in loading a pistol. For what purpose? Not an instant was to be risked in rapping or questioning. With one vigorous blow of his heel, Thurston burst open the door, and sprung forward, and dashed the fatal weapon from his hand, and then confronted him, exclaiming, "'Good God, Cloudy, what does this mean?' Cloudy looked at him wildly for a minute, and when Thurston repeated the question, he answered with a hollow laugh. "'That I'm crazy, I guess. Don't you think so?' "'Cloudy, my dear fellow, we have been like brothers all our lives. Now won't you tell me what has brought you to this pass? What troubles you so much? Perhaps I can aid you in some way. Come, what is it now?' "'And you really don't know what it is. Don't you know that there is a wedding on hand?' "'A wedding?' "'Aye, man alive, a wedding! "'They're going to marry the child Jacquelina to old Grimshaw.' "'Oh, yes, I know that, but, my dear boy, what of it? "'Surely you were never in love with little Jacko.' "'In love with her? <laughs> "'No, not as you understand it, "'who take it to be that fantastical passion "'that may be inspired by the first sight of a pretty face. "'No, I am not in love with her, "'unless I could be in love with myself, "'for Lena was my other self.' Oh, you who can talk so glibly of being in love, little know that strength of attachment when two hearts have grown together from childhood. It is like a brother's and a sister's. Never! Brothers and sisters cannot love so. What brother ever loved a sister as I have loved Lena from our infancy? What brother ever would have done and suffered as much for his sister as I have for Lena? You, done and suffered for Lena, said Thurston, beginning to think he was really mad. "'Yes! How many faults, as a boy, I have shouldered for her! 
how many floggings I have taken, how many shames I have borne for her, which she never knew. Oh, how I have spent my night watches at sea, dreaming of her. For years I have been saving up all my money to buy a pretty cottage for her and her mother that she loves so well. I meant to have bought or built one this very year, and after having made the pretty nest, to have wooed my pretty bird to come and occupy it. I meant to have been such a good boy to her mother, too. I pleased myself with fancying how the poor little timorous woman would rest in so much peace and confidence in our home, with me and Lena. I have saved so much that I am richer than any one knows, and I meant to have accomplished all that this very time of coming home. I hurried home, I reached the house, I ran in like a wild boy as I was. Her voice called to me. I followed its sound, ran upstairs to her room. I found her in bed. I thought she was sick but she sprang up and threw herself upon my bosom, and with her arms clasped about my neck, wept as if her heart would break, and while I wondered what the matter could be, her mother interfered and told me, God's judgment light upon them all, I say. Oh, it was worse than murder. It was a horrid, horrid crime that has no name because there is none heinous enough for it. Thurston, I acted like a very brute. God help me, I was both stunned and maddened as it seems to me now for I could not speak. I tore her little, fragile, clinging arms from off my neck and thrust her from me. And here I am. Don't ask me how I loved her. I have no words to tell you. End of chapter 14 Recording by Amanda Friday